What is the definition of how do you love yourself? How does she describe it? Megan does a really good job about teaching us the difference between self-care and self-love. So I think about you know how much work I've done on just promoting self-care through the loss of Taylor and working with mothers that have lost children. And I've been hyper-focused on self-care and having no idea that there's a difference between self-care and self-love, but how much they complement each other. So we feel this is going to be a really amazing episode. Megan does a good job of talking us through that. Yeah, because I, I had an issue originally. So for those of you maybe that are of our generation a little bit of what is self-care and self-love versus self-absorbed or selfishness. And there's a huge difference. It's not the same thing. And so we dove into that. So this next episode is going to be with Megan Logan. She's the author of Self Love, and she wrote a workbook for women to start to initiate the practice of self-love in their life. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. By embracing all complexities of being a woman, our goal is to share real stories that inspire growth and empower all women to be the best versions of themselves. And as Maya Angelou so eloquently said, when we know better, we do better. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Welcome. Today, we are so excited. We have a phenomenal woman on today, and she is the author of the Self-Love Workbook for Women. Christy and I have both bought the book and dived in a little bit, and I want Christy to kind of share her story a little bit before Megan starts talking. But Megan, please welcome Megan Logan, who is the author, and we want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I want Christy to kind of dive in, and she's got some depth experience in this journey as well. Great. Well, thank you for having me on. I am a licensed clinical social worker and have been in practice for over 20 years, specialized in working with women's issues, eating disorders, sexual trauma, child abuse. Um, So definitely self-love has been a topic of a lot of my sessions. And I got invited to write this workbook and thought it was the perfect opportunity because it really resonates with my professional experience, but also just my own personal self-love journey, which I think has been a lifelong endeavor for me. I have uh, two kids at home, a 15 and 16 year old, two boxers and a cat. And um, I was recently divorced after about 17 years of marriage and um, have kind of started over in the last last year or two. Oh, my gosh. Well, having two teenagers at home and all the other things that go along. So, yeah. Wow. This is perfect timing. Yes. Well, I'm excited to have you, Megan. Thank you for joining us. I found your self-love workbook um, just kind of browsing through Amazon, doing my, you know, book of the month search. And self-love for me has always been something that was kind of like a far reach, you know, kind of like, what does that really mean? I I understand what self-care means. I can say that all day long. I'm self-caring as I'm eating my bonbons and binge watching Netflix. I qualify (laughs) that as self-care, but self-care really became a big part of my journey and really not understanding what that meant and how to do it until I lost my son, Taylor. And, you know, after 
50 years of, you know, thinking that self-care meant one thing and just realizing, wow, that's, you know, there's so much more to self-care. And I think it really involves the self-love piece. And so I want to know what that looks like. And as we're diving into it, why is self-love so important to our self-care? And how do we, how do we identify both of those and give them the purpose that they need? So I think that Self-love um, is really kind of encompasses self-care. Self-care is a component of self-love. It's an important component in terms of being able to take care of ourselves and our bodies, um, putting aside time to nurture ourselves. Um, but self-love extends beyond that. And it's really the deeper inner work that you do and recognizing your gifts and your strengths and knowing what makes you um, authentic and what your values are and learning how to be able to appreciate your body and have healthier relationships. I have a question on that because I think, you know, we've heard this term self-care and self-love, I think is becoming more prevalent and more talked about, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what is really self-love. And in your book, you have a section that says what it is and what it isn't. And I think it was on page 15. It is not all about bubble baths and manicures. And that kind of stuck out because I think a lot of times people, if they're not on the journey or looking to work on themselves, they're thinking it might be more of a selfishness or, and that's really not what it's about. Is that right? I mean, help, help me understand, help our listeners understand. Absolutely. Self-love. It is more than, than even having a glass of wine and spending time with friends, which is all wonderful. And we should continue to do those things. But self-love is really how you feel about yourself and the worthiness that where that comes from. So a lot of times if you go on social media, you'll see people saying, you know, posting selfies and saying, I love myself, which is, again, wonderful. But I think self-love is quiet sometimes. It is slow. It's the inner work that you do. It's not, it's not from the outside that you're getting your worth. You're not necessarily having to get it from what car you drive or how much money you make or what you look like. The self-love comes from within. And then you can share that and extend that outward to everyone. Self-love is not perfection. It's not having to be perfect. It's not having the perfect body or the perfect boyfriend or the perfect house, perfect job. Actually, it's the opposite of that. It's loving yourself even when things are not perfect, when you screwed up or made mistakes or or you're not at your finest. It's being able to be compassionate and kind to yourself. Um, Self-love is also not always being happy. It's not always pretty. Um, Sometimes self-love is ugly crying and allowing yourself to feel all your feelings and making really difficult, hard decisions where other people might not be okay with that. I'm an ugly crier. So yeah, I can relate to that. (laughs) Well, there's, I I mean, personally, I think there's nothing more powerful than an ugly cry, because when you are done with an ugly cry, you feel like you've just cleansed yourself of all of this energy that you've been carrying around. And an, an ugly cry really kind of helps you start with this clean slate again. I think when I actually have those and I need to do them more. <laughs> it feels good. It feels great. I think women, we suppress our feelings. We suffer them. We hide them. We don't acknowledge them because we have to be happy or we have to take care of everybody else. And so we don't have time to feel our feelings. But a part of self-love is being honest with, with what you're really experiencing and feeling. It doesn't necessarily mean it's happy or fun. Well, and I think, you know, you talk about how self-love is intentional. And when, when we think about that, it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of things. I think when I think about self-love, 
being intentional with maybe spending a few minutes a day where, like you mentioned, I'm going in. It's saying things to myself that are opposite of what I normally have with my inner dialogue, which is, you know, whether it's just as minimal as I wished I wouldn't have had a glass of wine last night because now I don't feel completely 100% to I really don't like how I look in those jeans or I wish, you know, I had better hair. And I think, you know, just reframing what we're saying to ourselves is a practice of self-love, but it's really being conscious and aware of it so that we can catch ourselves, don't you think? Very easy to internalize that critical negative voice, whether it's from childhood trauma or just society's messages and how we're kind of conditioned to think that we're going to get better by beating ourselves up. And I think that along with sometimes reframing, it doesn't always have to be the opposite. So if we think, oh, I'm so fat and disgusting, you don't have to think, oh, I'm skinny and beautiful. You can think, you know what? My body is amazing. My body can do amazing things. Sometimes we come up with a more helpful thought as opposed to trying to challenge the negative belief. Because when we try to challenge it, sometimes we get more stuck with it, if that makes sense. The more energy we put onto it, the more we get used. And by coming up with a more helpful thought saying, well, I'm working on my self-love. Does this thought really help me feel good about myself? Is there a better thought that I can have? a more helpful thought that's in alignment with what I really want to be focused on. Maybe that being more authentic or learning something new or living life a certain way. So Megan, I have a question. You said earlier, um, talking about social media. So we've seen the evolution of social media and I'm sure a lot of people have seen the movie Social Dilemma. And I have children. My oldest is 31 and my son is 26. And they were kind of when it was kind of coming in, I mean, they had cell phones, but the whole selfie and the filters and all of that, it's a lot for youth. And I know that's your, your field of expertise. How are you helping kids deal with this? How are you helping them navigate and manage the reality versus all this that looks so wonderful all the time? For a minute in a snapshot moment, that we tend to kind of like forget that there's so much more to the picture that we're not seeing possibly. Yeah, there's so much that's edited or airbrushed or kind of filtered through that is not what people really look like necessarily. And so really teaching them to be critical thinkers when it comes to um, social media, what what they're exposing themselves to. A lot of times when I work with a teenager who might have eating disorder, we talk about cleaning up your social media so that you're not getting exposed to before and after pictures or people talking about what they're eating all the time. And that just creates more negative beliefs that you have about yourself because we naturally compare. Teenagers are uh, naturally going to do that. That is part of their developmental process is trying to figure out who they are. So the, the whole social media can really get in there and influence how they see themselves. Well, and I think, you know, a a practice with self-love is even a social media pause. I was sitting with my daughter and her friend over the weekend, and one of them, you know, initiated a conversation about, I think I'm going to pause my social media for 30 days because I'm realizing that every time I'm looking at it more often than I want to. And when I do look at it, I'm finding that my emotions And my anxiety levels are starting to change and they're ebb and flowing. And I need to pause from that. So I'm going to pause my social media. And I thought, wow, I mean, coming from a 19 year old who said, 
I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to self-correct here. And I didn't even look at that as self-love, but it is self-love. Absolutely. I, I, it's the best kind of self-love. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, with, um, I, I see a huge number of people who struggle, who teenagers struggling with social anxiety. And I'm convinced a lot of that, I mean, I had social anxiety growing up and even still today, but a lot of teenagers are not getting the real life experiences interacting and knowing that they can carry on a conversation and communicate rather than just take a picture or like somebody's post. And that's all that they have to do. Real relationships, real friendships go way beyond that. And so helping them to differentiate between what is the real friendship and, and, and what's kind of a fake or false one is really helpful. Well, I think even adults, there's some, I mean, I think a good percentage of adults have a hard time dealing with social media and not comparing. And so it, it's, it's an ongoing issue. What would you recommend for parents out there who know their children are struggling? Can, do you have some, some pointers or takeaways of kind of a beginning step? I mean, this book I would think would be great. What, what age appropriate do you think is a good time to start this workbook? I think it's, I have um, teenagers that I've worked with, uh, 13-year-olds. A lot of the exercises have been taken and working with middle school girls um, and middle schoolers. So I think that there's nothing necessarily in the workbook that is not appropriate for any age. Some of it might be a little bit, a little too deep. Um, it might not make complete sense, but I, I think that any middle school age, or we see it even earlier, fifth grade, when you really start seeing fourth and fifth grade, some of those dynamics starting to kick in, uh, insecurities and comparing themselves and friend, mean girl stuff um, yeah. and all of that. And, and honestly, therapy is really helpful for, I think, any age child because they have, I can say the same thing that the parents say, but the kids hear it differently because I'm a, I'm a different person. Um, totally. I'm not their mom or their dad. So it gives them kind of a neutral place to be real and authentic and honest and work through their vulnerabilities. I probably mention this in every episode that at 50, how much I'm learning about myself and what maybe I didn't know or I was not doing. And I think about now how much self-care and self-love has had to like come front and center for me just so that I can navigate um, some of the things that I've been dealing with, with the loss of my son. And I think in my twenties or even my teens, none of this really came into play for me until I was at this point in my life. But the reality is that because that was not part of my practice as a teenager coming in, it's created a really difficult habit of doing pretty much the opposite of what your book recommends. So I, I feel like a lot of what you've put in here is important for us to bring it back in to a, or maybe even just introduce it, because if it's not something we're used to doing, self-love and self-care, that bringing something like this, which is, I think you did so well, is you've outlined the importance of self-love and understanding it, but then you give tools and you give pages of daily activities that you can do to start really practicing those pieces so that you become more natural, I guess. It's really interesting because I, um, I would say I started my self-love journey when I was in high school, I had an eating disorder, it's probably why I became a therapist. Um, and I thought I had it down by the time I graduated college, like, okay, I've, I've re recovered from an eating disorder. I love myself. I'm, I'm ready, but it's constant evolution. 
I mean, even writing the book, I was like, who's going to want to read what I have to say? And even uh, well, while I was writing the book, I had started online dating and that was not fun. A lot of rejection, a lot of people that were not emotionally available that I had to really check myself. So some of the exercises are were created in real time of my personal real struggles with feeling worthy and good enough, especially parts of the healthy relationship piece as I was writing the book. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Which is amazing. It's therapeutic to do this work. The key is setting the intention for consistent and purposeful practicing because basically we have pathways in our brain. And I, I like to think of it as a superhighway, our old way, our automatic way of doing things. It's like going down a six lane superhighway in LA. We just automatically ooh, go down it without thinking. Doing something different that we've never done before is like getting a machete and chopping down a, a pathway in the jungle. It's not fun. It's hard. And we have to keep doing it. Eventually, that'll be a dirt path. And then maybe it'll get paved. And then that will become our new way of doing things. So doing these exercises, some of them are cheesy. Some of them are, are really deep and very difficult and hard to do. But setting that daily practice or striving for that is important. You mentioned in here, in your book, you talk about what self-love, just recognizing and understanding and living with more self-love, what it does, how it changes us and people around us. Can you, do you recall what I'm talking about? And do you think you could add to that? Let me see if I can. I think probably that when we learn to love ourselves, we eventually can spread it out into the world. Like it allows for us to have lots of possibilities, whether it's healthier relationships. When we fill our cup, then we can we can share our cup. You can't pour from an empty cup, that whole kind of concept. And really finding your authentic self. So it's just like posting on social media. If I ask myself, Megan, why are you posting this? What are you what are you wanting? Are you wanting people to think you're a good mom? Are you wanting people to think you're funny? Like what what is it that you're hoping to get in posting this? If it's in alignment with my values and the things that are important to me, maybe my value is being authentic. So Posting something on social media, even if I get likes or if I get people that comment, feels great. But if it's in alignment with a value that I have of being authentic, then that's where the real magic happens. That will spread out into the world and the people that you come in contact with. Self-love is low. It's intentional. It's quiet. It's not necessarily loud and boastful. And I love it. You say the energy that can come from self-love will propel you into becoming the best version of yourself. No longer trapped in the pursuit of hopeless relationships, emotionally unavailable partners, people-pleasing, self-doubt, jealousy, envy, or destructive behaviors. When self-worth goes from within, love blossoms and spreads. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, think that, I think that was beautiful. Well, I love that. I love your analogy. And that was a really great visual of the machete <laughs> and the forest. And I have to be honest, I think when you start thinking about going down this path or taking this journey and going, okay, what's my first step? If you've never really been somebody, our generation did not grow. We just had to toughen up. It's like, put your big girl pants on and, you know, buck up. And we learn to suppress and hide emotions and feelings and you just move on. And I think self-love to Christy's point is doing exactly the opposite. So in a way it can be very intimidating when you're really going to, you're going to be vulnerable. You're really going to look at that. So I love that analogy. It is true. I think if you prepared to pull out the machete, (laughs) but it's just a a work in progress. And I 100% am a believer of your vibe 
And if you're not loving yourself, it's really hard to love other people unconditionally. And I know we always have that drunk monkey in our head of we are constantly, if everybody wrote down every negative thought or whatever the story they're telling themselves on a daily basis, we would be shocked and overwhelmed. And we would never do that to Christy's point. We were talking about this earlier. We would never do that to a friend or anybody else, but man, we can sure rip ourselves apart easily. Exactly. That's something that I learned, um, even with my body image through the years, as my body has changed and I've had children, I've gotten, I'm probably the fattest I've ever been. And I say that not that fat is bad. I say that just as an adjective and I'm probably the most unhealthy in terms of physically active, but I am the happiest and the most confident and feel the sexiest that I've ever felt in my life. So how did that happen? There's a reason that happened. I, it, it was this intentional work. It was being able to look at my naked body and be like, you know what? My belly's not flat, it's not around and doughy like, and I like it. It's soft, it's feminine, and my cat loves to sit there and eat it. <laughs> Man, I can't, I'm not there yet. I need to do that because I can't, I don't like to look. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard work. And sort of as a therapist, I reframe all day long. That's a huge part of my job. So I got it down. I can do it really quickly and fast. So when you when you do the work, you start to internalize that and it becomes your new way of thinking and talking to yourself. Discover adventure, discover luxury, discover Moab with exclusive retreats for your next vacation or event. Wake up to amazing views only minutes from Utah's most breathtaking national and state parks and Moab's best shopping and dining. Enjoy your fully stocked vacation home with private pool and hot tub. Every room is a luxurious private suite, plus daily maid service and private chefs are available. Exclusive retreats. We're not your home away from home. We are better. Book today at ExclusiveRetreats.com. You talk about starting with a five-minute daily routine to really bring this into your world. And it doesn't have to be big. It can be a few little things. Talk, talk to us about that and give us some examples of what we could do. Yeah, something that can happen is depending on whether you're a morning person or a night person, I am not a morning person, so I would be doing this at night, um, is just to kind of set some soft music on and light a candle and just breathe um, in my bed and give myself permission to maybe not do the dishes or maybe not finish the laundry in that moment and just allow myself the, the time and the space just to say, you know what, I just need to stop and be quiet and just allow myself to be in this moment. And that's uncomfortable. Doing that for a couple minutes can, can be pretty uncomfortable at times. Sometimes it may be doing a meditation or reading something, whether it's, you know, scripture or something that's inspiring. Uh, it's not, you know, how fast do we pick up our phone in the morning and look at our social media right. to, to check it out? And is right. that really self-love <laughs> or is taking the time to do some deep breathing or maybe just go outside and close your eyes and listen to the birds and feel the sun on your face and just practice being mindful and present? It's an act of self-love. And I know for me, when I'm at my best, I am more intentional about my morning, starting my day. And that's the biggest gift I can give to myself is to for me, it's waking up at five. It's sitting with a cup of coffee for an hour. No talking, just sitting, journaling, reading a chapter, and then doing the gym. But And if I'm intentional and I've given myself that time, that self-love just translates to the rest of my day. When I miss doing that, it changes. 
So I agree with you. I think, you know, if we can just be more intentional, we deserve it as women, as mothers, as leaders, we deserve that period, whether it's five minutes or for some of us, it might be a couple of hours. So I'm just going to be devil's advocate. So a listener out there who is in their twenties and thirties, they've got little kids running around. They've got a full-time job. They might be doing some homeschooling still. How do we relate to that? Because even if they go, okay, I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to listen to music and I'm not going to do dishes. How do we get them to do that? But then not berate themselves after going, I should have never done that because now I'm behind here and now I got to do this. It's true. Um, I was thinking about that. You know, when I was younger and I was working and had my kids and I remember baking spaghetti and breastfeeding one of them and being on a conference call all at the same time. And if somebody would have told me to practice self-love, I would have been like, you're joking. I, I don't have time for that. Like, that's a luxury. I don't have, I, I can barely get through the day. I probably would have done it in the shower. So as I'm washing my hair and soap's going down the drain, I might actually smell the shampoo or smell the soap or visualize all my stress going down the drain. It's, it doesn't have to be this huge act that you do that takes a lot of time. It's, it's the intention behind what you're doing. When you're driving, roll the windows down and play some music that you enjoy. Sometimes it may be like kids music that you're not really enjoying that much, but you can, you can make the best of it. It is hard when you're busy and you're constantly going to give yourself permission to be able to do that. But if you don't, and I can speak from personal experience, the resentment and the exhaustion and the burnout will affect your relationships. It'll affect your job. It'll affect your health and it will have long-term consequences. So it's so important to learn how to do that when you're younger. Oh, I am so glad that I asked you that question because I've got it. My daughter who has, she has a five-year-old son who's autistic and then she has a one-year-old daughter. She works full-time. Her husband works opposite of her. And, and I feel like I don't get any time with her because she's so busy. And my son has two little ones under two. <laughs> so their lives are so crazy. And I remember being that person, but I appreciate you saying that because I think it's so important to not, not sacrifice themselves, their, their health, their relationships. And I feel like they deserve it. And I, they need to have permission maybe. So thank you. And you also say, start where you are. Tell me more about that. What does that mean? Like start where you are. If we're talking, if listeners are out there, what does that mean? Starting where you are is just accepting and with kindness and compassion and where, where your struggles are and what might be hard for you. So everybody's going to be, if I filled this workbook out when I was a teenager, it would look a lot different than in my 20s and then in my 40s. So where you start where you are is just where you happen to be. And as you do the work, the rest of it will come. You'll, you'll grow. There's no way not to grow if you just embrace where you are. So the other thing that I think is important with that is, and Kristen Neff, is a psychologist who kind of coined the term self-compassion. But I love self-compassion because self-esteem goes up and down based on our accomplishments or our failures. So we feel really good when we, I don't know, get an A on a test. And then we feel really bad when we don't do well on a test. Self-compassion just goes like this. It's just neutral. You're kind to yourself even when you're not at your best. You're kind to yourself even when you are at your best. You're just kind to yourself and you just Give yourself permission that you're just trying your best and doing the best that you can. When you're doing the workbook, there's opportunities to beat yourself up. Oh my God, I, I can't do this. It's too hard. Or these exercises are, um, I, I, I don't want to do them. I don't want to take the time to do them. And then I, I maybe set the intention that I'm going to do it every day and then not do it for a month. And then tell yourself, oh my gosh, I can't believe I haven't even looked at that. And 
that's an opportunity to practice changing the way that you're looking at with self-compassion. Just acknowledge where you're at and be okay with it and start from there. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It just is. And so that is a really important practice of non-judging, not judging yourself, not evaluating it and putting meaning on it. It just is a fact. I was really busy today. I didn't get a chance to open up my self-love journal, period. Not, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do that. I should have done that. Like I suck. (laughs) It's just another reminder because I think we, we do that. I think it's just ingrained in such a natural default for us to just fall into that berating and judgment that we do. And I just, I love that we're having conversations that are teaching us to be, we always talk about being better humans to others, and we just need to be a better human to ourselves. I agree. If we can have more grace, more compassion, more, you know, and it is a work in progress. I'm definitely, I feel like I'm a huge work in progress, (laughs) but I think when we do that and we genuinely are trying and it's coming from the right place, we have good intent. I think we're more compassionate for those around us and for humanity in general and show more people grace ourselves. So I I think this is just an incredible, Megan, I'm so glad you wrote this book. And (laughs) it's, it's, I really want to encourage women, you know, I, teenagers were a little bit rough for me. And, but now that my children are older, I just, okay, I go, okay, it was worth it. Now that you're (laughs) because it was just, it's a hard work. You want to raise these beautiful humans and you care so much about what their contribution to the world is. And I see them and I'm just so proud and I'm probably jumping ahead to you. Chrissy, you probably have more you want to ask, but. Well, I think, you know, it's like I said, it's just another reminder. I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to share. You have another quote in the book where by Barbara DeAngelis and she says, you know, that women need real moments of solitude and self-reflection to balance out how much of ourselves that we give away. But I think that that is most people. I think that, you know, men are guilty of the same. And I just, I think it's important that we pause, breathe, and have more compassion for ourselves so that, you know, we can be better and we can feel better. And so I'm grateful that you wrote the book. I am excited because for me, I've always just focused on self-care. And I didn't differentiate the two. And I do um, these bereaved mother retreats for mothers that have lost kids and helping them find hope again. And all of our focus has been around the self-care piece. And I'm so excited that I get to bring this piece in and help them really understand how much the self-love is going to help them on their journey. So thank you. Self-love can be a huge part of healing and just really reevaluating how you want your life to be in terms of making a life worth living, where you can fill it with the things that are important to you and realize your gifts and know how you want to make a contribution in the world. Megan, thank you so much. I think this, this actually, I love the conversation. I feel like I could talk forever on this, but you might really be interested in, we had on a guest, Dr. Juliana Hauser, and she talks a lot about your relationship with your body. And it's something so powerful. We thought all girls, I mean, boys too, but definitely girls should hear and just hearing that conversation. And you just kind of tied a bow on it when you're talking about, and you that's what you've dealt with is, you know, so that's fascinating, but you may enjoy that episode with her. It was just, uh, it was really good. Yeah, I'll check it out. So your book we found on Amazon, I guess it can be found pretty much everywhere. I definitely think 
call Christy. Christy's not giving herself enough credit, but she does four bereaved mothers retreats a year. Correct, Christy? Yes. Is it four? And her and another mom who have lost her son 10 days after Christy lost her son. And they have turned this into helping others heal. It is the most incredible. She started a foundation. It is one of the most incredible things. She she also does hope baskets. So anybody, if somebody loses a child, they'll just deliver this basket. So anyway, Christy's very inspiring and she's been a little bit more down this path, but I think this is a great piece that she'll be able to add. Well, you know, for me, because I'm more guilty of just like the plumber who goes out and fixes everybody's house, but they don't do their own plumbing. Is that the analogy? Uh-huh. I do good with that. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> because I feel like I, I'm pushing self-care and all of my moms that are going to hear this, um, I don't want to disappoint them, but we get so caught up in helping others that sometimes we kind of like put ourselves on the back burner and we neglect where we need to recognize that self-care is an important part of us being able to continue to help others, like you just said. And so this was just another reminder that the self-love piece is what is so resonated with me because I'm pushing the self-care, not recognizing that it needs both. I think I um, joined a, I got somebody asked me to speak at their self-love workbook, book club, I guess that this person had created. And so I spoke at it. And then join them because they were such awesome women that I was like, I want to be part of this book club. And so I started doing some of the exercises in the book and they're hard. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier to write the book and not do the exercises or to I would say as a therapist, it's a lot easier to sit in my chair than sit on the couch. Um, <laughs> it's very hard to get into that more vulnerable work. That's, but that's, that's the essence of self-love. Well, I would say probably one of the practices you have in there um, that has got to be the most difficult is the love letter to yourself. That I would imagine once you've done it and maybe sealed it up and then read it in a few months would be powerful. But the sitting down and writing a love letter to yourself and really being open and not allowing your mind to take over and just being open and vulnerable. I mean, that's got to be so healing. So and some of the women in the workbook group read their letters out loud to the other women. And it was inspiring and amazing and vulnerable and raw and just really cool to witness that. Well, Megan, you mentioned you were, you're thinking about writing another book. Is that true? I have lots of books in my mind. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, I hope you do. I really hope you do. Because what I wanted to say is sometimes you just, I, I think this is true for everybody. Everybody has a gift, I really believe. But I think you have no idea how many lives you touch by your message and your talent and your, I I just think we don't know because there's so many people that have probably went through your workbook and they just, you're not hearing from them, but I bet you have no idea how many people you're helping. So thank you. Really cool. I'm used to doing one-on-one with people and counseling, and this is like a collective empowerment movement for women. And so it's really cool to see that on a broader scale, which I love that idea. It's something new to me. I've never done any work like that before. So it's really cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you for being with us. We're going to give out some of your workbooks, but you had mentioned that once we do that, you would autograph them and then we could ship them off. So that'll be amazing. And we appreciate you being here and we will direct everyone to your website and make sure that they know how to find your book for those that want to purchase it. Great. I've enjoyed our time together. You guys are both inspiring and I'm following your podcast. So Oh, thank you. Thanks, Megan. You take care and have a good weekend and do some self-love and some self-care. You too. Okay. <laughs> take care. 
thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment.